a Podcast One production. Someone asked us the other day if we could do 10,000 units. And I was like, holy shit. I said, did you mean to write 1,000 or 100? And I just said, we can't do that in our workshop. Like, you can't lie because you don't want to disappoint a customer. Hey, welcome to the Lady Brains podcast. We're your hosts, Caitlin Judd and Anna McKenzie, co-founders of Lady Brains, a digital and IRL club for female founders and founders-to-be. We're chasing down the most successful female entrepreneurs from around the globe, not only to hear their life story, but to extract their knowledge and world-class insights. If you're curious and ambitious, then Lady Brain, you are in the right place. Get ready for some hard-hitting truths, a dose of inspo, and learnings you can apply right away. Strap in. In 2017, Amy Iakunwa relocated from her hometown of Sydney to Lagos, Nigeria, taking with her a brand she'd established back in 2013 with her best friend. The direct-to-consumer label, Shakudo, is a sustainable and slow fashion footwear and accessories label that's been featured in mags like Vogue and Grazia. The brand collaborates with Nigerian artisans and craftsmen that honour traditional production and manufacturing techniques, some that are over 500 years old. As well as the desire to expand into apparel, Amy also aspires to upskill and employ Nigerian women that are unemployed or at risk. This is a move that will allow Shakudo to not only grow, but also secure the financial future of women in Nigeria for generations to come. We kicked off the chat by asking Amy to paint a picture of what her life was like in Sydney before she made the move halfway across the world. I was born and raised in Australia and I... Uh, was working in community development, sexual health, um, drug and alcohol. So that was my background. Um, and then my my best friend and I actually started Shakudo um, in 2013. It was literally 2013. We were like, oh, let's start this fun brand. You know, we both loved design. We loved all that kind of aesthetic. But we were doing clothing um, and we used uh, Ankara fabric, which is, I think you've seen, there's a brand called Yevu that uses it. It's very bright, colourful. So we wanted to use this and kind of incorporate it into contemporary pieces because a lot of our friends, you know, are just very bright, colourful characters and we wanted to design for ourselves and our friends. So we didn't see, you know, not having this design, um, I guess, fin- um, formalised design training um, as an issue, we just, we learnt as we went along, um, but it was just a fun thing. It wasn't anything serious. It was that we weren't concerned about cash. We were just like, oh, let's express ourselves creatively through design and fashion, which we both loved. Um, and then she was in media and production and I was doing international public health at uni. Um, and then I was working, you know, four or five days a week. And so was she. So we are fitting in this, you know, little hobby probably like 7 p.m. till 10 p.m. or 11. And then we were working, you know, like the normal hours. So it was really just a chance for us to be creative and fun. So I was doing that and I loved what I was doing in Sydney. Absolutely loved it, especially working with youth. Um, It's my passion in terms of women's health and women's empowerment. So I was on my way there, but I was sort of, yeah, in government jobs, you know, doing a lot with the drug and alcohol sector and stuff. Um, But that's what I was doing before I, I left uh, to, to Lagos, yeah. So what was the impetus for you to kind of give up your life and your career and and move all the way back to Nigeria? 
yeah, I know. It was so random. Everyone was saying. It was like, <laughs> my friends were like, I've been saying I'd wanted to, to leave Sydney for a while. I've been telling everyone and everyone's like, just go already. Keep talking about it. Um, I, I think I just got to a place where I, I don't know how to describe it. It felt a bit flat. I started feeling like things were very repetitive. You know, I'd, I had my routine down, you know, I'd get up, I'd go to the gym, you know, I'd, I'd sometimes walk to work for two hours just to switch it up. Um, and I don't know, something just wasn't sitting right. So I, I was like, I just feel like I need an outlet or something more creative outlet than what I was able to do. And don't get me wrong, I did a lot of stuff. I was doing pottery, I was, get, I was in a band, I was doing all this stuff. <laughs> but I just, I don't know how to describe it. I was, I was trying to fill, you know, this space. I was like, there's something missing. And um, so yeah, I decided, let me, let me move to Tanzania. <laughs> As you do. um, As you do. And I thought, yep, Tanzania it is. I wanted to, funnily enough, I'd also gotten a visa. So I had some options open. I had a visa to London, um, a two-year working visa. Then I was like, okay, maybe it's going to be too similar to Sydney. So I had Tanzania lined up. I'd always wanted to visit. It looked like such a beautiful country. um, And I wanted to do the community development work over there. Um, And then all of a sudden I was like, I just clicked one day and I was like, why am I um, trying to go to Tanzania? I don't bloody know anyone in Tanzania. Um, And my dad was in Nigeria. He'd been living here for four years. So he'd originally been in Australia for 35 years um, with my mom. And then he moved back for work. So I was like, okay, why don't I come and see how he's going? I hadn't seen him for a few years. And while I'm at it, you know, maybe I can see what's cracking in Nigeria. So I ended up staying and missing my two-year visa for London. I think everyone knows you get to a point in life where sometimes you have a need to change something or your spirit's just kind of like calling to do something new, you know, whether it's a hobby or a new job. And that's what I was feeling. And I just, I was ignoring it for so long. And then I just finally gave in and kind of changed things up. Yeah. And it's a, well, it is a long way to go. Did you feel like it was, like, what did you find on the other side? Yeah. Like, what was the change like? <laughs> it was, yeah, so long. <laughs> and I'm, this sounds really terrible. I haven't been back to Australia since I left because of that distance. I'm literally like <laughs> the flight and the cost to get back is almost like, you know, you pay for a ticket and it's like that could be your rent money for the whole year in Nigeria. Um, so it's like wow. you weigh that up and you're like, nah. Um, But I miss home so much. But when I got here, um, it was, for me, it felt like home as well because we'd been actually coming as kids. So my dad had tried bringing us, um, and my mum had been bringing us back to Nigeria since we were about two years old. We even went to school here for uh, three months just while while they were having like a hiatus. So coming back was almost like, oh, I'm home. I'm I'm, I'm home, Um, just like I would be if I went to Australia. But... The difference is that people here, <laughs> people here, when I came to Lagos, which is the city, so my dad's family are actually eight hours east, which is like a really rural part of Nigeria, the village. So I used to go there as a kid. So this is my first time when I moved back being in the big city. Like it was like, oh my God, I didn't realize that all of this stuff was going on in the city. I was kind of like, whoa. Um, so I, I did have a little bit of sh- uh, culture shock, just minor. And then, um, but mostly I felt at home and I was like, okay, where do I begin? You know, like rubbing my hands together. Where, where do we get started? So I, I settled in and when I got here, um, 
it's been wonderful. It has been wonderful, but also very effed up as well and very exciting and very scary and everything. Yeah. <laughs> Can yeah. I ask, because probably most of our listeners haven't been to Nigeria. Yeah. Um, and Lagos is one of the fastest growing cities in the world. Yeah. Can you paint a bit of a picture about what life is like over there? Yeah, so it's such a good question because it's really nice, I think, to hear it from like a young person's perspective, you know, female here, like who came on her own. You know, I turned 30 last year, so it was like, holy shit, <laughs> you know, what am I doing? Uh, have I lost the plot? <laughs> so no, Lagos is um, Lagos is extremely, it's like, it is very fast growing. It's very rapid. The movement here is so fast. I'd equate it to kind of like a New York vibe, but mm. if, you, if you're in Africa, mm. it doesn't, obviously it's not as pretty um, as New York, but, um, you know, New York has all the buildings and whatever, but Lagos does too. We, we have been really developed here. And if you came here 10 years ago, it did not even look like this at all. It's just continuously sprawling. Um, the thing is, it's a lot of noise. There's like music on the streets, people selling food, hawkers everywhere. You know, you have um, a lot of, like I told you before, generators because there's not constant power in Nigeria, which is is another story. It's very embarrassing for the richest, you know, country in Africa who doesn't have constant power. So it's like boom, 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 boom. You know, you have these generators going. Mm. Um, and then you, you also have this just beautiful energy and pulse about it where it's mm. like you come out and you can't be, you can't kind of just be not on your A game. You've kind of got to be, go with the flow. It kind of picks you up as you leave your house and you're like, all right, what do we got to do today? What can I do? You know, what's mm. going on? So compared to Sydney where things are so organised, you know, the buses run on time, the trains run maybe four minutes late and we're always complaining about it, you know, things like that are, are perfectly organised here. There's there's a, an organised chaos. So um, buses move around, taxis like ghost taxis that are not real taxis move around. We have Ubers, we have Taxify. <laughs> We've got all kinds of things. You just have to know. So if you know, you know. And yeah. it's like, oh, even yeah. when I went to the markets for the first time, I was like, which bus do I catch? And everyone's like, why would you catch a bus? And I was like, because I always catch a bus. Like in Australia, I was bus and train queen. You know, I, I even had a car. I didn't drive it as much in Australia. And everyone's like, no, someone like you shouldn't be catching bus. You need to be getting into, you know, a taxi. You know, want the sun to be on your skin. And I'm like what so that really like confused confused me because for me a bus is like 30 cents 50 cents i'm like yeah. of course i'll catch a bus um but on those buses you find that it's so interesting the the people who are who have money or sh or look like they should have money should be driving their mm. own cars have a driver moving around in uber and if you don't have your own money sorry if you're not um how do I say, like, you're of lower socioeconomic status with, you know, you know, you don't have as much funds, then you're on the buses, which we call Danfos. You know, you're taking motorbikes um, to get around, tuk-tuks, all those kinds of things. But I was actually using that when I moved here because I was like, I'm going to save every damn penny I have because I've literally <laughs> come over with, you know, a small amount of pocket money, you know. So it, it's a really interesting place. There's a lot of class system going on. Um, there's a lot of noise, mm -hmm. there's wonderful music. You walk out in the street and you feel like, wow, it's such a bustly vibe. Very similar to India as well. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. how I can, I hope that mm -hmm. sort of yeah. gives a bit of an indication. It definitely yeah. does. I think you just transported us and it sounds very vibrant and yeah. bustling and energetic. It's great. And there's a lot of good smells mm -hmm. as well on the street. 
from food oh. cooking, which is nice. But then you might turn the corner and then there's terrible smells because then the sewerage is like <laughs> out in the open, which is really, some of it's covered and then some of it's, they haven't got a very good sewerage system, which is shocking. But we, it's just a mix of everything, good and bad, you know, mm. ugly and beautiful. You get it all when you come here. Oh, well, we, we do want to come. We'll come visit you. Come mm. over. We've got two so, spare rooms. Yeah. Come on over. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. We'll be over there. So... Tell us about Shakudo. So it is a shoe and accessory brand and it's inspired by the people and the culture of Nigeria, but it didn't start out that way. Can you talk us through the evolution of the brand and where this idea came from? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, so Shakudo, you're, you're correct. It is a footwear and accessories brand. So we do women's uh, shoes particularly. We do bags and we do jewellery as well. So originally we did start as clothing in Australia and we were producing locally in Australia. So we, we had gotten all our fabrics and we're doing that there. It was quite costly, as you would know, you know, to do samples and all of that and patterns and grading in Australia. Um, and I don't know how to describe it. They got to a point where we kind of slowed down. We just dropped the brand because we were so consumed with our normal everyday life and work was getting too much. And, and we just left it for about two years. And then I just, when I moved to, you know, planned to move to Nigeria, I thought I might, I'm sorry, Tanzania originally. I said, I'm going to take it over to Tanzania as well while I'm working community development and see if I can do production there. Um, And then when I moved to Nigeria, I ended up bringing it here and just restarting it, re-registering it, giving it a whole facelift basically. So it was just this Mm -hmm. like thing we'd started, dropped. And then once I got here, I thought, okay, while I'm not working, how about I just look for you know, something I can do while being here. And I was researching a lot into um, footwear um, production here, manufacturing. Um, And I thought, wow, we've got an amazing um, manufacturing scene going on here, which people don't really realize. I didn't actually realize it as well, even though I'd come here as a child. So I'd seen all this like guys on the street doing, you know, they had their little shops and had their footwear. They were doing it right there in their shops on the street, making sandals, you know, um, I saw some silversmiths, goldsmiths working on jewelry, um, amazing bag makers. And then I also, I was like, okay, I want to explore this more. Went to my dad's side, the East, which is where they do a lot of production eight hours away. Um, and just saw this village, guys. It was unbelievable. It was like, I don't know, it, it was called Ariaria Market and it's huge. And the production going on there. Everyone has just got their little stores and producing belts, wallets, bags, everything. It's like a little China there. <laughs> so I was like, okay, interesting. Yeah, I was like, I'm going to explore this. They even do big um, farm machinery there, like all this stuff going on there that is not really exposed. So I looked into it, took some samples, let's do this. And I then decided, okay, Shakuto may be able to, to work with footwear. We may be able to bring life back to this brand again and expose this kind of like wonderful manufacturing scene that's going on here that does need a little bit of work I have to admit you know the finishing wasn't great what I saw but um, I thought what can I do to expose this a bit more Um, because growing up um, you know you would only hear negative things about Nigeria and a lot of my friends that's all they knew and I kind of wanted to show them hey guys look at this really cool craftsmanship and artisan scene that we've got going on here that most people equate with Kenya South Africa you know, mm, we don't really yeah. have all oh, Nigeria. Like, mm. it's not really, you know. Um, sorry, it just got dark all of a sudden. I think it's going to rain. Um, I've got even mm-hmm. the lights on. 
So, so what happened was, yeah, so I then said, okay, let me rebirth this brand. And I got, Shetu is my best friend who I started it with, um, said, can we, can I go ahead with this? Can I get your blessing? Because she wasn't involved with it at that stage. So she said, yeah, go ahead, run with it and do what you got to do. So now, you know, it became only me. Um, and yeah, we, we then started manufacturing all these samples. I started doing shoes. Um, and the ones I started getting back, I was like, wow, this is really, really bad because they were high heel shoes and they just look, if I show you the first one we made, it was shocking. Um, absolutely shocking. Cause what I figured out after that was that the artisans here and the, and the, and the shoemakers, they actually prefer to do slippers. They don't actually like to do high heels because high heels mm. have a whole, they're a whole other ball game. Very difficult. Take a lot of patience, take days to make. So when I saw them, I was like, okay, I get it. I understand. And then I started tr with my guys working with them to build up, build up, get better. And I realized that clothing for the, t for the while was so saturated. We have so many clothing brands here in, in Nigeria and Africa alone. Um, so same with Australia. So I said, okay, this might be different. I could show, you know, footwear, bags, earrings, like people hadn't seen like modern um, you know, modern jewelry being done out of Nigeria, like instead, just your usual kind of thing. So I wanted to put a contemporary spin. Um, and then I thought, you know, shoes are also a good way to showcase many different talents. So you can put weaving in shoes, you can put embroidery in shoes, you can make the heels. So you've got about four different people working on one shoe, as opposed to just one piece of clothing just being given to somebody. And then here we are, um, and it's been great. And a lot of people have just been like, wow, um, I didn't realize, yeah, Nigeria was capable of doing footwear and jewelry like it's been done. So it's it's been really nice to kind of change that narrative a little bit. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. It seems that you have a very deep kind of purpose behind building this brand, not only to kind of change that na narrative around, um, you know, the capabilities of Nigerians and what, you know, thriving, um, you know, artisan scene is yeah. over there, but also, you know, you employ, you know, local artisans, local women, you're creating jobs for people. And I know that's really important yes. for you. Can you talk us a little bit about how important that deeper purpose is in terms of building your brand? Yeah, so for me, I think, you know, behind anything for me, I always have to have some kind of meaning. It, it, it did start off like I felt a little bit, um, I felt a bit strange because I thought I've come to Nigeria, you know, and I've got all this fantastic training in community development and, you know, working with, you know, underprivileged and, and youth and different things like that. And then I thought, oh, I'm just picking up this Shakuto brand again in fashion. Like, what is that going to do? Like I was really grappling and struggling with that kind of, and I think, you know, a lot of people in fashion, if they want to have a bit of purpose behind brand, you know, the brand, sometimes you think, oh, what, like, is this, is this giving back at all? Like I'm just selling beautiful things to people, getting money, you know, and, and also the impact that it has on the environment and so forth. So that, that, that meaning, like you just said, is, was super, super duper important, um, for me and I really needed to have a story or a message behind it. So I thought, how can I use my you know, current skills to mm -hmm. work with the local community, implement what I have? And to be honest, it really, really did help. I, um, I was able to, especially with liaison and uh, liaising with different communities and how to talk to people and building rapport mm. um, and you know, just being genuine, just being genuine about 
<clears throat> okay, this is a business, you know, I want you to come and work with me. Here's what I can do. Are you like, this is the pay I can offer you. What would you like? Let's negotiate what works for you. Um, and we do pay higher than other brands or other services, other, you know, individual services that are going to our like artisans or people going to our artisans paying them. So I wanted to have something that was also focused around women. Initially, when I started Shakuta, I said, oh, I want, you know, 90% of our team and our workers to be women. I was really, 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 really like headstrong about that because I'd worked with women so much in Australia. And I noticed here that women weren't getting much of a chance when it came to footwear production and bags. A lot of the guys think that it's too tough of a job for women to get involved mm. in. And it is, it is hard work. It's dirty work. But um, I just don't think because that whole thing around, oh, you know, you don't really see many women truck drivers, for example, in, in, um, in, in Australia. So it's kind of that same thing. It's like, it's just, it's just put it cast aside as oh, it's more of a men's kind of thing. Sure. So it's been really, really hard for me to actually get more women on board um, in terms of working because a lot of the time here you have so many different issues, which, um, you know, if a woman works with a brand a lot of the time or, or a man, they t- a younger guy, they tend to take what you've, they've learnt and go off and just start their own brand. So there's not always that thing where you can build up with them, help them to develop skills and stay. So we... Um, so I said, okay, how can I do this? Maybe I can train women from scratch on footwear production. Um, <clears throat> that way it's like, okay, you know, they've got an amazing skill that they can use to, if ever, like, for example, they don't work with us anymore. Now you know how to make a pair of shoes and and, sho- and that is such a wonderful, mm. you know, profit that you can get from that. And I said, um, we would start the training this year, but COVID happened um, that was really, really mm. important. So we're going to try again for next year. We've been raising the funds every time we get a sale. We take $5 from that and put it aside. And, and that will help with like paying our artisans, you know, their time for training and also food and transport. So so that was the biggest thing, trying to get women um, involved, which is still an ongoing process. So we do have women, but it's it's not, it's it's like at the moment it's 70% men, 30% women. Um, so we're, we're really trying to work hard to change that. Um, we love the men, but we, we do want more women, definitely. <laughs> um, and then also in terms of working with the community. So I, I really wanted it to be something that was like, we're going to work with you long term. It's not just going to be a really quick um, job that you do for us and then off we go and find another artisan. I really wanted those artisans to be a part of the family. And I always try to stress that and say, you know, I want this to be a long relationship where you work with the Shakuta brand, mm. we grow together. The more orders we get, the more work you get. So I try to play it mm. like that. Um, that is really important for me. I, I wanted to have like a story where I'm helping to foster this beautiful traditional crafts as well. We we use, I think you, you would have seen, we use a lot of Ashoke cloth, which is, um, it's a, it's been around for over 500, 600 years in many different parts of Africa. Um, but we have our own versions here. So I really wanted to show this and be like, we can put a modern spin on this cloth, keep it alive, keep the industry alive, um, or be a part of keeping it alive. I mean, we're not the only persons using Ashoka cloth, but be a part of keeping that industry going um, because a lot of people had had lost their jobs in the past because we were taking a lot of imports in from cloth coming in from China um, who were trying to Mm -hmm. replicate our traditional cloths and other parts and it, it really hurt mm. our industry here and a lot of people who 
only know how to weave, have only been taught how to weave, and that's all they know. So imagine losing work and jobs like you don't have money to support yourself. So for us, um, we work with a family of weavers and um, we've been with them for now since we started, so two and a half years, and we plan to stay with them and grow grow that team. Um, And, yeah, it's even, um, I guess, showing what we do in terms of silversmith and goldsmithing. Um, It's funny because there are particular tribes that do particular things and um, not always, but but generally, so I think in Nigeria we have uh, we have hundreds of tribes, but our main tribe tribes are you know the Ibo, the Yoruba, the Hausa, the Edo. So the Hausa tribe they actually focus more on silversmithing and goldsmithing. That is their um, that like they're fantastic at what they do. But my dad is Ibo, and the Ibo people don't tend to be very good with doing goldsmithing and silversmithing or they've just never really done it. It's not like in the, it's not been passed down from generation to generation. We tend to focus more on weaving, we're market, we're in the market a lot, market selling, business trade, that kind of stuff. Um, But the people who do our weaves for our shoes are actually the Yoruba tribe. So that Yoruba tribe has a cloth and that's the Ashoke. Um, but I'm gonna. I want to try and do a different type of cloth next time as well to showcase our totally different cloth called Aquete, which is from the Ibo tribe. So it's it's like everyone has their little role um, to play. It's really beautiful. And then the embroidery on our shoes is also done by a Hausa guy. He's a you know he um, he has a small team with him of you know Hausa you know trainees, and they literally do this tiny intricate weaving on clothes and um, embroidery on clothes that you would you would think a machine has done it and it's all been done by hand um, so we're going to incorporate that when we do get back into clothing as well so yeah so sorry long story short <laughs> just trying to showcase what <laughs> sorry I get so sidetracked no. oh god but just just trying to yeah just trying to show what we what the communities can do here and particularly the artisanal communities mm. the different tribes and also you know building Building on what skills we have, we are not Italy, we are not Portugal when it comes to production, but I really, really would love to get to that standard in um, like in, in terms of our handwork. Um, and that for me, I'm like, why should we say, oh, we're just going to settle for here? Why can't we be just as competitive internationally when it comes to footwear production? And even if that means we have to get a few machines on board to help with that precision, I do want to do that and still have the handwork there, but just show the world that, wow, Nigeria's producing these fantastic shoes. This is, this is so cool. So that for me is such a, a big goal, yeah. What is the challenge with kind of scaling up and growing? Because I imagine if your team, all your products are handmade, they're all, you know, um, they're touched by a lot of different people who have really unique skill sets. How do you, or how are you planning, or how have you grown and scaled that production capability? Yeah, that that is, that's such a great question. And it's been so tough, if I'm being honest. It's really tough. Yeah. And I know a lot of people don't really like to talk about the, the downs of the business. It's like, oh, you know, we're doing great. It's really tough because, um, you know, for example, if I just give you a, a, like a, an image of how our production works here. So we have our own workshop, which we acquired last year, which was a huge thing for us. Um, and it's about 150 square meter, nice big space. Um, and I share that with a friend who is actually a master tailor from London. So 
we were like, cool, we've got this space. Let's bring in the troops, get some guys in our team, <laughs> you know, because they were all scattered across Lagos. We're like, hey, guys, I've got this space. You don't need to pay rent. Come on over. We'll, you know, create some kind of structure where you come in and work. And then, you know, if you need to do your own stuff, you can always go back to your shop and do your own stuff, whatever. Then we train you as well. We wanted to get consultants in to train, you know, our, our team to get them to that level of, you know, um, international standards, which, I mean, we are at, but we just wanted it to be that really nice, crisp finishing, mm. which you can't always get yeah. with handmade. I just had to accept that. So basically everyone's like, well, I've got my own shop. Why would I come to your shop? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I was yeah, like true, yeah. true, 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 true. Yeah, yeah, fair, that's fine. And then, yeah. you know, a lot of them have already got their own customer base, which they've built up. Our artisans have built up their own customer base for years. So it's like, why am I dropping my customer base just to come and work for you when maybe the work one month will be a lot and then the next month it won't be? So, so I said, okay, all right, how do we do this? So we've still had to work with our artisans all respectively in their own shops. Now, what you said was mm -hmm. like, obviously everything's handmade. And if someone wants an order of like 100 pieces, then you're like, okay, how do I make sure that all of these pieces are consistent um, in terms mm. of quality, look, everything, because these guys are across, you know, scattered across um, Lagos. So what I had to decide to do was each artisan I found had particular strengths on different shoe styles. So we have an artisan in for in particular who works on our boots and our bags. Then we have another artisan who works only on bags, another one that works on a particular style of bags, another one who works on three particular styles of shoes that he can do very well. You know what I mean? So each of them have like the types of shoes that they can work on and they do them really well. And that way I know that what's coming from them, what quality, um, and they're all going to look the same. Then we recently hired um, a quality control person because I was doing everything. I was testing them, mm. making sure they were stable, they fit well, needed more stretching, da, da, da. So we hired a quality control who literally goes through checklists now and ticks it off. If it doesn't pass, then it gets taken back which has been a huge help and it makes all of the difference. So scaling up, um, scaling up is really tough. So if we get a huge order, which we have, you know, we just have to have all hands on deck and they, they prioritize the work that we give them. We actually pay in advance. So we pay all of our artisans 60% mm. up front. They start the work once they finish, then we pay the balance. And we find that is a really nice way to give like them that, you know, incentive to, to move quicker we don't have anyone on salary on our artisan, just our like admin team, because a lot of them have preferred to work on pay by mm -hmm. unit basis, which when you're scaling up is not very financially advisable because you end up losing money. But I factored that into my cost. That's why our prices are a little bit higher, if you can see. So we pay them, mm. you know, per item basis. Now, someone asked us the other day if we could do 10,000 units. Um, and I was like, holy shit. I said, did you write, what did you say? Did you mean to write, I said, did you mean to write 1000 or a hundred? Is there an extra zero? Yeah. I was like, is that meant to be a decimal point? Um, and you know what we, I just said, we, we can't, we can't, we can't do that in our workshop. It was just important. Like you can't lie because you don't mm. want to disappoint a customer. So from there, we would have to outsource that to a factory to produce it. But our story is that we are based in Africa and, and Nigeria. So I don't want to take that to China or Portugal or Italy. And so many have said to do that. They're like, just do your samples in Nigeria and then produce in Portugal. And I'm like, but 
but then it's like if you're not I'm, I'm totally defeating like the purpose of being here and, and trying to build up yeah. that industry so I was like okay what I could yeah. do is produce maybe in South Africa or Ethiopia who actually have mm. quite a good footwear scene mm. and you know they've got fantastic factories there so we can do what we can do on ground particular styles and then maybe they do the other larger run that we can't do here um and so again we need machine more machinery for that everything like 90 percent is hand done except for a sewing machine and a little filing machine that we use to file the heels and stuff like we don't even have a heel press we don't have any large-scale machinery at all so that's our next step um, if that answers your question, we're trying to raise funds. We've been trying to raise funds for ages to get that machinery and um, grow our team and train up more people to come and work from our shop because it's still a bit empty at the moment. <laughs> yeah. You said you were trying to raise funds. Yeah. Can you talk us through what are some of the hurdles you're coming across at the moment oh, um, and why is it so difficult so to raise? Tough. Yeah, I mean, my my thing is I think a lot of people are a bit weary to invest in fashion mm. um, and it's hard to say that, to uh, convince people that it's not just fashion, it's manufacturing. Like we are doing everything in-house kind of like what Zara does, like we source all of our materials, we have our own production unit, you know, and we also do our retail. So we are doing everything top to bottom here um, in, in, in Nigeria. So we're trying to convince, I, I've, I've created pitch decks, I've sent them out, trying to, you know, raise capital for that machinery, for a consultant to come here for three months and help us through like to just be more efficient and also to train up more women and have a, have an actual mm. stronger team base that is based directly out of our workshop. But raising those funds, we found people like, oh, you're asking for too much, one. Two, I'm only myself. I don't have a business partner. So as a female, you know, like trying to raise this amount of money for a business in Nigeria, which is, you know, a fashion business in Nigeria, another fashion business. It's like, it's not really taken seriously. And then... Uh, I even got approved for a loan here in Nigeria for about $25,000. I signed it off and everything because our business was doing that well that they said, okay, cool, you can get this money. And it's been a year and we haven't gotten that money. Like that's that for you is corruption because you can see that in Australia, you get that loan within a couple of days. Mm. But here it's like you're a year. Like I applied for that it. last June and was approved last June. And that money's just gone. I won't see it. Someone else has received it. It's just a really, really strange system. Wow. And it's not all the time that happens, but a lot. It does happen a lot. My boyfriend was like, I told you, you won't get it. It's just how it is. Yeah. And and you sometimes have to give a percentage of your loan to the person who helped you get it just to be like, you know, I'll give you 10% if you can speed up the process. So it's, it's, really, it's really annoying. There's all Cartier women's grants. There's different things out there. Um, but it's really tough if you're not a grant writer as well, if you're just applying on your own and trying to manage marketing, you know, design your team, your webs, everything, plus apply for grants. It's a whole other job in itself. So it has been tough for me. I have gone to people as well in the community that have started businesses and are doing really well and tried to say, hey, would you want to jump on board something? This is our growth rates. This is our revenue. And a lot of the time, it, it's a lot of men here. Mm. And when they see a woman, you know, and uh, a pretty lady who's doing business, mm. um, you know, there's that connotation that, oh, maybe, you know, I'll take a few, a few for a few lunches. And it's mm. really cheeky the way that a lot of the men behave here. 
I've been talking to somebody about a business opportunity and he's just completely looking the other way and he's like, yeah, that sounds so good, yeah. Oh, I've mentored so many women across, but the reputation that I found out that this person had was that he had taken advantage of a lot of women that he'd actually, and then funded their businesses based on that. So, and that is a huge thing here in Nigeria. So, um, yeah, getting funding in Australia is also tough, even though we're registered there because it's like you're doing this in Nigeria and, you know, the reputation mm-hmm. that Nigeria has and, and how do they know that this and that. It's really, it's, really been, <laughs> it's really been tough. So we haven't been able to raise funds yet and I'm, I don't want to do crowdfunding and all of that. I would love to really get investment or do um, a grant system. So, yeah, I think a lot of women will know in business. It's, it's a tough thing. It's a tough thing to raise capital. Yeah, I mean, I think you raise an interesting point in that you're kind of experiencing a lot of different layers of challenge in terms of raising funding. Yeah. I mean, there's sort of the unique corruption yes. kind of that has stopped you from getting that grant. There's, you know, the challenges that are associated with being a woman. Yes. The challenges that are associated with being a woman of colour. I mean, we know that women of colour are massively underrepresented in terms of investment globally. And so how do you you maintain the resilience to kind of keep Mm. going and and the grit to just be like, because you're a very headstrong person (laughs) and you seem very determined. How do you kind of, how do you keep going? Um, I just, I just love the, the, the feedback and the love that we've been getting from so many people. Like, I can't tell you how amazing it's been. Um, customers in Australia, friends, family, customers here in Nigeria, getting stockers who believe in the brand, being featured in like Vogue and Elle and Cosmopolitan. Like for, mm. for me to get, I was like, whoa, you know, these are magazines I was reading, you know, during uni, during high school. And to now see our names in them is like really surreal. So that shows me that we've got something good going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, 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 I don't know, like, I just think that timing is everything. And maybe um, that, that for me is a huge belief in my life. I think, you know, if it's not happening now, maybe there's something I need to keep working on to make sure that we are ready to receive that, um, that financial investment or maybe we need to hire a new person. So I'm just like, there's a reason for everything. I always believe that. And that keeps me going. And I really love you know, what we've been able to achieve in this landscape, it is crazy here. So to be able to navigate and just like, when you see it on Instagram, it looks like, woo, this really cute, bright, <laughs> fun and bubbly brand. And if you see like what's going on behind the scenes, yeah. like, it's just it, like, it's, madness. It's just like, yeah, it's like <laughs> you know, it's just like, it's so amazing. And I'm so proud of that because I've tried to build this team and family and respect, mutual respect amongst the people we, that I work with. It's not like I'm the mm. boss and you do this and create, produce, da da da. It's like we're family here. Let's let's build this business so that we can grow, I can grow, you can grow. Yeah. Business is growing, money's coming in. You know, you can support your family. We're mm. showing a different side to Nigeria. It's a win win win. So that keeps me going. But when yeah. I do see stuff like what happened to me with the loan and, and a lot of men here and like you said, you know, women of colour, it is tough. But there I have to say that um, women of colour have been really, really doing a great job in running businesses. So, you know, even though there mm. is that sort of side of pity, it's like women are really pushing through. Um, and women in general, whether you're of colour or not, have just got this difficulty because you're not, t- you actually, we get less mm. loans as women. Um, so less like amounts yeah. in our loans, you know, we're underrepresented when it comes to business meetings, you know, 
and especially women of colour, that you take that and then you turn it up a notch where it's like yeah. you're in a big boys club and, you know, oh, what do you, what do you know about anything? One thing I can say is of being a woman of colour is that, you know, when you have a parent like moving to Australia who my dad was fiercely entrepreneurial. He did have his own business as well, but he was such a go-getter. He would just <laughs> give all he had to everything and I just love him and respect him so much no matter what came his way you know he had a lot of racism coming at him mm. people were just confused about the type of my dad's very jovial and fun they're kind of like this guy from Nigeria I don't really get him I don't understand you know he's in like he was in Australia in the 70s 80s so it was really tough and um but watching him has pushed me so much and seeing what he's been able to do and, you know, my mom is so supportive. So I'm like, nah, I'm going to keep going. Like, regardless of what's coming, I'm just, if they've been through that shit that they've been through as a, as a biracial couple trying to build something for us in Australia, why would I have to, I don't have the right to sit here and have a soup. Mm. So I'm like, I just keep doing that. And then, um, but watching my dad try to build businesses, um, you know, it's having that mentorship. You don't have, mm. how do I say, like, as a woman of color, you know, some of them are second generation or their family members were not trying to build businesses. You know, mums and dads, say if you're in America and you're an African-American mm. woman um, or an African-Australian woman, you don't have that person to look up to, to be like, oh, okay, this is how to do it. You've seen all their failures and, and mostly failures because they're just trying to figure it out. Yeah. So you don't have... The mentorship thing for me is huge. Yeah, I, I yeah. really need that, and we don't have that. And um, getting that in Nigeria is you're not really taken seriously as well. So I think you made a really interesting point there that you know you don't have that blueprint of what success looks like yeah. um, as a woman of color. And you know I think you know this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to help um, tell those stories through you know wonderful entrepreneurs like yourself. Yeah. Um, you know. Talk, can you talk us through kind of the entrepreneurial landscape of women in Nigeria? Yeah. You said that it was hard for you to find a mentor, hard for you to find someone to talk to you. Is that also what you're trying to change? Are you trying to create a more inclusive environment where women are supporting other women? Yeah. Well, funnily enough, um, that for me is that for me is really, really important. And I have a lot of people coming to me who are like, oh, um, how did you go about doing this? So I get emails from people saying like, oh, I want to start up this and how did you go about doing it? And when I first started, I sent out a lot of those emails and I did not get replies at all, mm -hmm. which is understandable because people are busy um, and whatever. And some people just don't want to give that information as well, particularly, particularly if you're in that particular country, the same country. They're like, okay, this is competition. Um, they're going to be using the same artisans as you know as I am. Da da da. For me, I'm, I'm quite open. Um, people have asked me like, where do you get your fabric? Who do you talk to for leather? You know, who are your? And I do share that information. I I, I do. Um, obviously, sometimes with the people that I'm working with, I don't give out their direct contact because one, privacy and respect, and two, they're currently. Mm -hmm. I know how inundated they are with work. And one thing with Nigerians is <laughs> we love saying, oh, yeah, 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 bring on the work. Yes. Bring it all on. <laughs> Keep bringing it. And they're just <laughs> not getting any of it done. And I know that once I've, before I've, like, given out contacts with guys I work with mm. and they've not finished any of my work because they saw this new business opportunity and were like, I'll finish that off, da-da-da-da. So 
in long story short, I'm very happy to share and I try my best to give information where I can. A lot of the times I tell people, look, I'm, I'm super duper busy, but I can send you some voice notes on WhatsApp. Drop us a WhatsApp line and I'll give you some, some kind of ideas on what to do. And I've done that in the past, just with, especially with women. It's mainly women who come to me and, and, and need that help. And I just love, I love having those conversations, even like packaging. People are like, I don't know what to do with packaging. Just friends who are starting their own businesses here. And I sit down and I just love talking about it because it gets me really excited. And I'm like, oh, you could do this. You could try this. Here's a contact for that. Why not go there? Yeah. So that's how I do it in my own particular way in, in terms of support. Um, because I know there are, there are actually um, organizations here who are trying to help women access funds, meet mentors and stuff. For me, the training that we wanted to do with the women was really um, a really, really a big part of trying to help women, um, I guess, in this industry who want to get into footwear, who want to get in production, just to have a go and, and feel like just because you're a woman, you, you know, it doesn't mean you can't make a really nice solid pair of shoes, it doesn't mean you're not strong enough to cut, you know, that particular material or, or you know, you're scared about getting dirty. I don't believe in any of that. You know, I, I've always been quite rough and rugged. I love getting in amongst it. And I think it's really important for women to be like, I can do anything, even if I get a bit dirty after, even if I'm like this and that. So some women are like, oh, here they don't. They're like, I don't want to touch it. Oh, it's too much. Or, but I'm like, you shouldn't let that hold you back because it's, it's a bit ridiculous. So just get in there. And so for me, that, that training that we want to start is super important. And we are trying to partner with a local um, NGO here which supports um, uh, at-risk women. I thought about finding the women myself but I don't have the time anymore to do that so I thought why not go to an NGO who has access to those women, who knows their story, can link us in with those women and we train you know, up to four women every six months. That was our goal so if we don't get to do the four women, two women is even fantastic, three women you know, realistically um, and then hopefully we take on 50%. So those women will then join the team or they can leave and go and find their own employment elsewhere. And we just support them through that. So that for me is how I want to try and do it. And again, if people come to me at some stage when we do make it to that level and, and want help, I want to be able to mentor women and give them that advice because it's been so hard navigating that and trying to find it here. Um, but thank God for online and thank God for you know, organizations and people like yourself who are sharing that info, getting it out there. Um, it's really super important. Yeah. You're building a business with such integrity. It just, it seeps through absolutely everything that you do. Oh, you know, you so the decisions much. you make around not offshore, you know, outsourcing mm. your production, the, you know, the investment that you put into the artisans, whether they come and work for you or not, you know, it's about, you know, your, your community background is really kind of, it's the, filtering it's through the every backbone, aspect, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, every aspect of your business, and I think you know you. Thank you, ladies. It, it shows through in your product and in your brand. Thank you so much. You're I appreciate welcome. that. Yeah, it's been great. I appreciate it. I, I do think you know it's it's nice to just I you know I'm I'm grateful for you guys to tune in over here because it, it's nice to tell you know another story, especially like living in Australia for so long and then being here and just the difference you know, between the two and, and, um, Mm. yeah, it has been hard. I have to say, I just think that, um, you know, what is life without obstacles? You kind of just figure out how to get over them. And like you said, it's all about being, I think solutions focused and like preparing for the problem before it hits as well. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been tough, but I I don't regret it. And I just want to 
try and figure out a way to try and grow. Yeah, grow the business and 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 be like any shoe brand, like Mister. You know all these one. I don't know if you know like Rachel Comey, like Senzo. I love. Yeah. I used to love Senzo. Yep. I don't know if you know Senzo. Yeah. Wear them all the time. Yep. I mean, they manufacture a lot in China, but you know the story of how they've built their family brand up, and it's all kind of mm. still kept internal. Um, you know, you can keep things with a lot of love and integrity, and still grow them. I think um, to scale, and that's what I hope we can do with the right support here. Yeah. Well, we are so excited to have spoken with you, and you know, we just think what you're creating is as I said, it has so much integrity and there's so much deeper purpose and meaning behind it. And I think, you know, what you're doing is amazing. And thank you so much for taking the time to to chat with us. It's been amazing, even though we've had crazy tech difficulties. It only took us an hour to get here, but that's okay. (laughs) But we've just been been solving. Problem solving, problem solving. And that's, I think, as women, that's one of our best um, attributes. We're great problem solvers. We're great multitaskers. Um, and I just think, yeah, I, I'm so grateful to have spoken with you all and to also connect with your lovely, lovely audience. And, um, you know, thank you for giving me that time. Thank you so much, Amy, for painting such a vibrant picture of what it's like to build a business in the hustle and the bustle of Africa's fastest growing city. The two biggest things we took away from this chat. Firstly, Amy is fueled by a deep, deep purpose to have a positive impact on the women in her community and also to change the perception of what it means to be Nigerian to the world. This deeper purpose completely shapes every single decision that she makes, including where to invest her profits and also the decision to continue producing items locally despite the fact that moving production offshore could unlock massive, massive growth. Amy's building a business with integrity and we absolutely love that. And I think there's something to be said for founders who are opting for slow, steady and gradual growth. And lastly, Amy identified that for women and especially women of colour, there are some really unique challenges that they face. She was lucky in that she had an entrepreneurial father to provide her with a blueprint, but that's often not the case for many women of colour. Sharing diverse stories is therefore so incredibly important so that women, especially women of colour, can see what's possible for them. If you enjoyed this ep, we would love to hear from you. Head on over to our Facebook group, The Lady Brains Clubhouse, to get in on all the chats. Ladyland is a Podcast One Australia production. The producer is Brooke Carrigan, audio production by Matt Nikolic. For more great podcasts, head to podcastoneaustralia.com.au or download the Podcast One Australia app.